All right, Rabbi good morning. Good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Adar Aleph. Mrs. Salma Wolf, with immense gratitude for the Rafuos from Hashem and the merit of Rafuos Shlema for all of those in need and the schus of our brave soldiers and in the schus of the return of our hostages. The Schwarzbaum family, in memory of Rabbi Aaron Schwarzbaum, Aaron Yosef Ben Meir, Zichon Livracha, the Ziv Levine and Berman families in memory of Bill Ziv, Zev Shmuel Ben Yisrael, Zichon Livracha. And we dedicate our day of learning, the entire Kehila, as a Zichus for the successful surgery and Rafur Shlema for Mrs. Selma Wolf, who is having surgery today, Sara Bas Itta Devora. And of course, we dedicate all of Masechas Baba Kamali, Ilui Nishmas, Master Sergeant Elio Michal Harush. Hashem Yikom Damo. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all of those who need a Refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. But let's see with that, let us, let us begin. So today's daf is Kuf Gimel 103. We are picking up on Kuf Beis and Mabes. We have a lot to do today, some really interesting Gemara. Uh, so we are picking up, we are picking up, we actually began the case Makdish Nechasov. So let's say, you know what, let, let's just actually, I'm, I'm, no, sorry, we're up to Amrabi Abba. Amrabi Abba. So Amrabi Abba will say is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 lines off from the bottom. I'm counting from the bottom today. This is, good, this is a good way to start today. So I'll say, so remember again, we're talking about the particular case of a man who is makdish, he consecrates his property. So the Bryce explained that halacha it doesn't include anything belonging to his wife, or anything belonging to his children. So the most honorable Abba, lo kalamaktish nechazam ein daitlaksus ishtobanav. So I'll say, so remember again, the reason we're in this sugya right now is because beforehand in yesterday's daf, the Gibra was talking about the situation where I gave money to Ruvain, I gave money to Ruvain, and to buy wheat. And Ruvain bought barley. Remember again, we're talking about a case of a business transaction over here, not for consumption purposes, for business transaction. So the Brises said that if Ruvain, because Ruvain, well, actually I should say, there was a machlokis between the Brises. But one Brises said that ultimately any depreciation is solely borne by Ruvain. Appreciation ultimately, again, is split down the middle. It's split down the middle. Other Brises, that was actually the second Brises. First, uh, first Brises said, essentially once Ruvain deviated, he's effectively treated like a Ganov, acquires the item, and is obligated to refund me the money. So we're focusing now on that, really that second b'risa, which is depreciation solely borne by Ruvain, appreciation split down the middle. So we're trying to figure out this concept of why is it exactly that appreciation is split down the middle. After all, the seller assumes that he's going ahead and selling it to Ruvain. Right, that was the transaction between him and Ruvain. So Lamayis say again, why is appreciation split down the middle? So we're trying to, uh, we're trying to focus on this concept of essentially where you have one person buying on behalf of someone else, effectively, what's the relationship between the seller and the owner of the money? Right, that, that's really what we're trying to figure out over here. So the Gemara is bringing up this case of Amakdish Nechaz. So the Abba says, no, when you, when you consecrate your property, the reason why your wife's, your, not your wife's, your wife's and children's property is not included in that consecration is because it's not your das. It's not your das. In other words, when you're Makdish, your stuff, what are you including? What are you including? Your stuff. your stuff, right? What are you not including? Your wives and your children's stuff. Even though, now here's what's interesting. Even though perhaps you have, may have title to some of those items, nevertheless, 
don't, bottom line, don't mess with your wife's stuff, right? right? In other words, right, if you're marketing your property, go to be marketing your property, don't involve any other way, anyone else's property in this. Imar goes back to Maskif, the Rabbi Zira, the Chidaito Sha'adam al Tfilov. So what was this? It's actually fascinating. One second, using this logic, when a person has Maktish his property, does he have in mind to be Maktish his, his Tfilin? His Tfilin? So the Gemara says, Utinan, listen to this, this is fascinating. Hamaktish Nechasov, if a person has Maktish his property, Ma'alin Lo Tfilin. They will say, this is so interesting, we include his Tfilin in that. We include his Tfilin. So we'll say, take a look at Rashi, it's actually really, Ma'alin Lo Tfilin, so say, now, obviously, what we say is, we, we don't assume that you're giving your tefillin over to Hagdish, but we do assume that you're giving the value of the tefillin over to Hagdish. And as such, if you want to get your tefillin back, you have to redeem them from the base of Mikdash. So we'll say, this is interesting. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have thought that when you're Makdish, your stuff, you're including your tefillin. But yet we see tefillin is included. So if Tulum is included, why isn't my wife's stuff or my kids' stuff included as well? Amr Abayi, no, no, no. In Daito shall Adam al Tulum. So Amr Abayi, in Daito shall Adam al Tulum. So we'll say, no, Abayi says, that actually makes sense. When a person has Maktish's property, his das is on his Tulum. Why? Listen to this. Savar, mitzvah ka'avdina. So we'll say, because again, when I'm Maktish my property, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm doing a mitzvah. So Bepashtos, what's included in that mitzvah? I don't know, other mitzvahs that I have also, so right, being makdish is a mitzvah, going ahead and putting a tefillin is a mitzvah, so therefore in the process of being makdish, I'm including my tefillin as well. Conversely, we'll say, why isn't, when I'm makdish my property, why isn't my wife's stuff and my kid's stuff included in that hegdish? Why not? We'll say, what does eva mean? Animosity. Nothing is worth, worse for your Shalom Bayes than to come home and tell your wife, good news, good news, we are so much closer to the Ribbono Shalom today, right? Bad news is I gave away all your stuff, right? So, so Lamaisa, that type of animosity, a man is not interested in creating. With his own tefillin, he's not, right? again, it's a mitzvah, it's kedusha, someone else's stuff, animosity. Mask of Valo Chayve Erchin Shanukan, said, but we're talking about over here, Erchin. Right, we'll say ultimately again. So what? what, what I'm sorry, Roshi is coming along and saying this is actually not a case of hegdish. This is actually a case ultimately again of erchin. We'll say, remember again, what's erchin? Erchin is a case where a person pledges his value to the base hamikdash. and we learned chayve erchin memashkinin also. Ultimately, we'll say if you pledge an erach vow to the base hamikdash, ultimately halacha lemaisa halacha the base hamikdash could seize collateral. Can seize collateral for the value of that vow. Rashi says, Here's what's interesting. So, if I make an erach vow, I say, I pledge my value to the Beis Hamikdash. The Yimar now says that the Beis Hamikdash itself has the right to seize collateral. I will say, Now, is it my das? Do I want the Beis Hamikdash to seize collateral? Of course not. But what you see from here ultimately again is that in these types of vows, Things can be done against my will. Well, if things can be done against my will, perhaps to be able sh- should include also my wife's property, my kids' property. Sorry, I'll say first wide line. One or two. So here, look. Here, here's how it works. If you're makdish your property, which of course you have the right to do, it's as if before you make that hectic declaration you effectively are makna, your wife's property to your wife, 
and your kids' properties to your kids. In other words, th- that's the mechanics. That's the, words, it's the way Chazal built in the mechanics of a hekdish vow. So therefore, I will say, we're trying, like, what's, what's kind of throwing us a little bit for a loop is, if I'm not touching my property, I'm not touching my property. What do I own? Well, technically, I may own my stuff. I may own some of my wife's stuff. I may own some of my kids' stuff. So why doesn't my hectish vow for my stuff devolve upon all of that? So essentially, what the Gemara answers is, the way Chazal created the logistics of that vow is that you effectively give away title to that property to your wife and to your kids before you make that vow or at the time that you make that vow. And therefore, the hectish only devolves on the stuff, quote-unquote, that's really your second white line. Turn on bottom. Halukiach supposed to say, really interesting case. Really interesting case. Halukiach, so the B'Shem Chavero, supposed to say, listen to this. I buy a field in the name of my friend. So watch what's happening over here. I don't know if this is legal, you know, in, in, in today's society, but here's this interesting. I go over to Ruben. I say, Ruben, I want to buy a field, but I don't want to buy it in my name. I want to buy it in Shimon's name. In Shimon's name. Now we'll see why someone would do this in just a moment, right? So I want to buy it in Shimon's name. Ultimately, again, you can't force him to sell. So, but if I said to Ruben, I'm buying it on the condition that you write, right? On the condition. So, we force him to sell. So the Gemara says, My Kamar, what are you talking about? Right? What, what is this case? Well, see, this is fascinating. Amr of Shesh, watch this. Watch this. I go over to Ruben. I say, Ruben, I'm, I'm buying this field from you. But I want, I want it to be that um, the transaction, right, is known as, I want to do it in the name of the Reish Galusa. So I'm buying it in the name of the Reish Remember again, the Reish Galusa is the head of Babylonian Jewry. So I want to buy the field in the name of the Reish Galusa. Now, why would someone do that? Take a look at Rashi. It's fascinating. So I said, Ruben, Ruben, listen, I'm buying this for the Reish Kalusa. This is great. First of all, when you buy property in the name of the Reish Kalusa, you know what ends up happening? Number one, other bidders walk away, right? Other bidders walk away because... No one wants to mess with the Reish Kalusa. And in general, even if I have other outstanding debts, right, no one is coming to seize that property that belongs to the Reish Kalusa. Right? So essentially what I'm doing is, I'm using, I guess for lack of a better term, like a ghost buyer, right? but it's a good ghost buyer. In other words, I'm, so I want to buy this from Ruvain, but I want the transaction to be in the name of the Reish Kalusa so that I don't run into any problems with this property. Okay, so I'll say, so then what's the halacha? So in Kofin also Reish Kalusa Limkar. So I'll say, so you can't go ahead now. So I'll say, so let's play this out. Now, obviously, this is only a good idea if you have a relationship with the Reish Kalusa. Right? To start buying a property in the name of the Reish Kalusa when you have no, no shaykha, so it's probably not a good idea. But let's say, I'm close to the Reish Kalusa. So I go over to Ruvain. Ruvain, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write up this transaction in the name of the Reish Kalusa. Right? So, so Ruvain is selling property to the Reish Kalusa. So I'm going to say, now what's my plan? What's my plan? My plan now is, I'm going to go over to Reish Kalusa. Is Reish Kalusa, do me a favor. Now write a start to me. Now write a start to me. So the halacha now is, the Gemara says, in Kofin also Reish Kalusa, Limkar. Ultimately, I can't force the Reish Kalusa to go ahead and write, sell me this property. Look at Rashi. In Kofin Reish Kalusa, Lachsar v'lichtov shtar mechira, shehu machra v'lokeach, 
So we'll say, I can't force the Rish Kalusa to write another document saying that the property is mine, that he sold it to me. So we'll say, so by the way, what you say to yourself, why not? What's, what's wrong with the Rish Kalusa? We'll say, we're going to see, it doesn't look good for a person to be selling off properties, right? At least from the Gemara's perspective, selling off property was a sign of financial distress, right? So therefore the Rish, so now, so watch that. So I go over to Ruven, I say, Ruven, sell me the property, but sell to me in the name of the Rish Kalusa. Find right to me in the name of Rish Kalusa. Rish Kalusa, now write me a new document. Ultimately, again, that you're selling this over to me. I can't compel, I can't force the Rish Kalusa to do that. And I will say, now even though what? Whose money is in this transaction? Whose money is in here? It's my money. But I can't force the Rish Kalusa to write me a new document. Vim Amr Amenas. However, again, I will say, if Halacha Lamaisa, if Halacha Lamaisa, I went ahead and I structured this transaction with Ruvain to say, Ruvain, I'm buying this property from you, giving you this money on the condition that the Rish Kalusa will go ahead and write me a new document, then Kofanes Rish Kalusa Limkar. Then we could go ahead and force the Rish Kalusa to go ahead and to go ahead and write me the new document. Okay, so we'll say a lot to unpack over here. Amrabar, halokeach sadeh mivshem reish kalusa, in kofen also reish kalusa limkar. So let's go back, let's, let's analyze this. I go over to Ruvain, I said, Ruvain, well, I'm going to buy a field, but I want to buy a name of the reish kalusa. Fine, Ruvain does it. I can't, I don't have the right to force now, I have no, I have no leverage to force the reish kalusa to go ahead and write a new document, sell, quote unquote, selling me the property. Michlal de Mekanya Kanyale. So we'll say, now here's what's interesting. Now the inference from this is the fact that I can't compel the Reish Kalusa indicates that what? Indicates that to a certain degree the Reish Kalusa is the owner of the property. Right? The fact that I can't compel him indicates that the Reish Kalusa owns the property. I So ultimately, again, say that this argues on the Jews of Eretz Yisrael, the Rabban of Eretz Yisrael, the Omri, Vichi Miho Dio Labalchitin, Sheyikne Chitin Labalabais. So I will say, so remember again beforehand, we saw on the top of the daf. This is how we got into this whole discussion. Right? Remember again, I was saying the Bryce that said, I hired Ruvain to go ahead and buy wheat, he bought barley. So we'll say, so now ultimately again there's appreciation. So the Bryce that said, second Bryce that said, split the appreciation. So he said, but why should we split the appreciation? Who told the owner of the wheat about the owner of the money? In other words, I'm a silent partner in this transaction. The owner of the wheat was only transacting with Ruvain. So what what ownership do I have in this? that the Balachitin ultimately was making it over to me some portion that I should be able to share in the appreciation. So the Gemara says, No, 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 that's not a question. I'll tell you why. The case in question over here is, I'm telling, I am telling Ruvain, the owner of the field, exactly what I'm doing. I'm telling him, I'm buying it in the name of the Reish Kalusa, and then my goal is, and I'm telling it to the witnesses, and my goal is ultimately, again, that the Reish Kalusa should sell it back to me. I will look at the second case of the Braisa. Amanas, Amanas, if I said I'm buying this on the condition that the Reish Kalusa will sell it back to me. Kofin also Reish Kalusa Limkar. We force the Reish Kalusa ultimately, again, to make a new document of sale. So am I, but how can I force him? Essentially, the Rish Kalusa could say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I, I don't understand. How, what right did you have to involve me transactionally when I'm not a party to this transaction? So it literally translated, it means, I don't want your COVID and I don't want your degradation. In other words, <laughs> I'm not a party to this transaction. And the truth is, if anything, 
you, you used my name in a real estate transaction without permission. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that in general. Right, so, so the so how can what I was asking over here is how can you compel the Rish Kalusa to do anything when he's not a party to this transaction? says you're right. This is what it means to say. Here we go. say if you go ahead. By the way, I just want to point out the, the case doesn't only have to exist in the case of the Rish Kalusa. Just the Rish Kalusa is a good example. Why? Because why would someone do something like this? Someone would do something like this because they want to kind of create. Like a like a like a a bulletproof you know a bulletproof transaction. They don't want anyone else coming in. Either they want to scare off potential buyers, which is a potential problem, a halachic problem of scaring off potential buyers, or they just want it to be that no one's going to seize this field. So you, you kind of put in there another buyer. So in any event, so right, I go over to Ruvain. Here's the case. I go over to Ruvain. I buy the field and the name of the Reish Kalus. Well, say top of Kuf Gimel one o three a. Ein kofin as hamocher limgar. Zimna Achrisi. I can't force the seller to sell it to me another time. Now, what does that mean? Take a look. Tap Rashi 103a. So, in Kofin Es Hamokar, Lachzar Velichtov Shtar Mechira Achar Lelokeach. So, we'll listen to this. So, this is fascinating. So, I go over to Ruben and say, Ruben, go ahead, sell me the name, some of the field, but I'm buying in the name of the Reish Galusa. Fine. Ruben writes up the contract. After that's done, so now, both say, so now essentially, I'm the owner of the field. Now I go over to Ruvain and say, Ruvain, Ruvain, write me now another star. Another star. And in this star, I wanted to say, Ruvain sold the field to silver. I want you to explain. Okay, so now that we kind of got the transaction done, right, and I'm the owner of the field, now I need a new star that says I'm the owner. I just wanted to be explicit. So what's Talacha? So the says, in Kofin, I, I have no right to force the seller to go ahead and write that document. Again, look at Rashi. I have no right, I have no leverage to force Ruvain to write another document of sale. We'll say, in other words, if I wanted a second star, so we'll say, so just by the way, Rashi spells this out. Essentially, essentially, I want the real estate transaction to be in the name of the Reish Kalusa because I'm not interested in having anyone try to seize this property. On the other hand, I do need another star, right? I need another star. What do I need the second star to say? I need the second star to say that, that I am the owner. Why? Because if the Reish Kalusa dies, what's going to end up happening? His Yarshin, his inheritors, are going to come to try to seize this property. So I will say, so now watch this. So let me tell you this case. I'll say, here we go, here we go. So I buy the property from Ruvain. I buy the name of the Reish Kalusa for all the reasons we mentioned before. So now afterwards, I say, Ruvain, I need a second star that says, I am the true owner of the property. So I can't force, I can't compel Ruvain to go ahead and write another star. In other words, Ruvain's not obligated to do that. And I can't force him. If, however... I stipulated at the time of the sale, I'm buying this field on the name of the Reish Kalusa on the condition that you write me a second star in my name afterwards, then what? Then I have the ability to force him to do so. Beautiful. So we'll say, so that case makes a, a lot more sense. Amr Mar, Halokech Sadu B'Shem Chavero. It's a really interesting case. So we'll say, I buy a field in the name of my friend. So I buy a, name, I, I, so I buy a field in the name of Shimon. I buy a field from Ruvain in the name of Shimon. 
So we'll say, so ultimately, again, you can't force Ruvain, the seller, to go ahead and write another star. So we'll say, this essentially is the same case. It's the same case. So the Gemara says, Pshita. So we'll say, it's obvious. So we'll say, it's obvious. So we'll say, uh, so, we'll say, so in other words, I, you would have thought as follows. So we'll say, here's the good news. In these transactions, the buyer and the seller are, are exclusively aware of what's happening over here, right? So I'm going over to Ruvain. I'm buying the field in the name of the Reish Galuso or Shimon or anyone else. Ruvain knows exactly what's happening over here, right? So therefore, again, I will say, you might have thought that in a transaction like this, it is clear that I am going to need a second document, Right? I'm going to need another document that is written in my name. Why? You're both say why? Because I can say to Ruben, of course I need a document that's in my name. Why? I'm not going to go ahead and spend my money on nothing. I'm not going to throw away my money. And if I don't have a document that somehow lists me as the owner, then what? I'm essentially throwing away my money. I'm throwing away my money. So therefore, you might have thought that this is almost like implicit in this type of transaction. So the Gemara says, by definition, I'm only doing this because I know that Ruben is willing to write me another document. So that Ruben the seller can say, listen, buddy, I'm happy to go along with your transaction. But if you want any additional documents, that's between you and the fictional buyer, right? It has nothing to do with me anymore. Now, remember again, so essentially, what what Ruvain, see, it's so fascinating. So the Havamina is, when I go to buy field from Ruvain, let's just keep the name of the Reish Galusa. And as I'm doing the name of the Reish Galusa, right? Ruvain understands what's happening over here. So maybe it should be implicit in the transaction and he's going to write me another document in my name. Kamash Malan Ruben can say, listen, if you stipulated that at the outset, of course I'd be forced to comply. But you didn't stipulate it. You want another document? Who is that between? That's between you and the Reish Galusa, or me and the Reish Galusa. I'm not writing you additional documents. They're both like, now ultimately, again, what's the reluctance to write additional documents? Remember, as we mentioned before, if Ruvain has, if Ruvain has a document that says he sold the field to the Reish Galusa, and then he has another document that says he sold the field to Shmuel Silver, it doesn't look good. Because now there are multiple real estate sale documents associated with Ruvain, and this paints a picture of financial distress. So Ruvain's not being difficult. Ruvain's just trying to safeguard, trying to safeguard his own, his own uh, financial reputation. Ve'im amrlo amenas, However, I to say at the time of the transaction, I said to Ruvain, Ruvain, I'm buying this field in the name of the Reish Galusa on the condition, on the condition that you write me a second document, then then ultimately, I'll say, then, we, then obviously we force Ruvain to write me a second document. The Gemara says, Pshita, I don't understand, that's kind of obvious. So I'll say, so no, no, what's the case? The case could be ultimately, again, where Haloch HaLamais, I didn't say it to Reuven per se, but perhaps I said it to the witnesses who are witnessing the transaction. All right, Ma'ud Tema, 
What would you have thought? Masi Amrale Amina Shtara Mehech Dekashaklis Bishme Ka'amrit. You might have thought that he was saying ultimate that I was saying that I'm going to get a second document from the person in whose name the transaction is, i.e. Ruvain, Kamash Malan, Da Amrale Lahachi Tarchi Vamrulula Idim Kamach. Therefore, was like, I can say, listen, the fact that I went out of my way to say this over in front of the witnesses indicates that what? My intention was to get a second document from you, from the seller. Okay. So I will say, so just a fascinating case. So bottom line, what comes out of here is, first of all, apparently, halacha, halacha, um, halacha accepts, seems to accept this case of being able to go ahead and buy property in the name of another party where clearly, again, my intention is I'm buying it myself, but I'm trying to, let's say, shield it from creditors or something like that. And again, after that, after that, and obviously after that sale, and now I am technically the owner, the problem is I have no documentation. I have no documentation. So I will say, so I don't really have any recourse, ultimately, again, from the buyer listed in the document, because the buyer listed in the document could say, leave me alone, leave me alone. So what recourse do I have potentially with the seller? But the only recourse I have is at the time of the transaction, if I made it explicitly clear that this entire transaction is predicated on you, seller, writing me a new document, then the seller is compelled to do so. But if I did not stipulate that at the outset, then I have no right to demand a second document. Incredible. Rav Kahana, Yoiv Zuzi Akisna. So it was an interesting case over here. Rav Kahana, Rav Kahana hired, right, gave money for flax. That was like, now what happened over here is he gave money to a flax merchant, he gave the money, he purchased the flax, but he did not take physical possession of the flax. Okay, what happened? The sof iyaka kisna, so then the price of flax went up. Zabne marvase de kisna. So the guy who had the flax sold it. Now I want to play what's happening over here. He sold Rav Kahana's flax. In other words, he, he felt that he was doing Rav Kahana a tova. Like, in other words, I'm holding on to your flax, so instead of just holding on to the flax, let me sell it, cash out, cash out, and ultimately, again, there's a benefit. Look at Rashi. He says, So his intention was to give Rav Kahana the proceeds of the sale. So what's this? I just want to point out what's happened over here. So Rav Kahana, Rav Kahana gave merchant $500 buying flax, okay? So he bought the flax, he bought the flax, ultimately again, but never took possession of it. Now what happens? Flax appreciates. That same $500 of flax is now worth $700. Merchant says, Chaparain over here, sells off the flax, has $700 to give to Rav Kahana. Okay? So we'll say, so now, already again, what's the issue with this? What's the issue with this? It's beginning to feel a little bit like a ribis issue. Like interest. Because we'll say, remember again, just understand what does happen at the end of the day. Rav Kahana gave the guy $500. How much is the guy giving back? $700. So we'll say, so now watch this. So So they brought this case before Rav. Amrle, my Iyavid. So ultimately, again, so they said to so Rav, so, so Rav Huna, sorry, Rav Kahana said to Rav, what should I do? Ezel Ishkel Zuzai. Am I able to go ahead and accept the money? So I will say, this is fascinating. So Rav said like this. Listen to this. Rav said like this. It depends. 
When the merchant went and sold the flax, what did he tell the buyer? Did he tell the buyer that this is Rav Kahana's flax? If he says Rav Kahana's flax, then Rav said, you can keep the money. Keep the money because then essentially someone was selling your flax on your behalf. Any proceeds that were realized were directly attributed, to, were directly related or, or owned by you. If, however, the merchant never made any mention, bless you, of you, if he never made any mention of you, to the boss, Rav said, nah, this it looks a little bit more like a ribbis case. It's going to look like interest, right? V'ilo, lo sishkal. And if not, ultimately, again, don't take it. Rashi says, why? Mishum ribbis. Because the boss, it really looks like interest. So in other words, because then essentially what's happening over here is you gave, you, Rav Khanna gave the merchant $500. He's transacting business and he's giving you back $700. So I will say that, that already, that already looks, looks like ribbis. So I will say it's a fascinating here, right? So the Gemara says, so I will say, so one, one more time. If the merchant, when he was doing business with the flax, well, so a merchant takes the flax and says, listen, this is Rav Kahana's flax and I want to sell it. And I want to sell it. And that's how the profit was realized, not because it was Rav Kahana's flax, but because, again, it was identified as Rav Kahana's flax. You could keep, Rav says Rav Kahana, you could keep the money, but if not, he can't keep the money, ribbis. So the Gemara says, okay, Kiman, whose opinion does this reflect? Kibnei Ma'araba. This reflects ultimately, again, the Jews of Eretz Yisrael, or I'm sorry, really Rashi says it's a, it's a question. Right? Kiman, Kibnei Ma'araba, does this reflect the view of the Jews of Eretz Yisrael? Take a look at Rashi just a moment. Kiman, Kibnei Ma'araba, Bitmiya. So we'll say, so now, again, does this go in accordance with what we attributed for the name of the name Remember, again, we said before in the, in the Braissa that said that they split the appreciation, right? Ultimately, again, the Jews of Eretz Yisrael said, the Rabban of Eretz Yisrael said, who told the owner of the wheat? That ultimately, again, this wheat was owned by the owner of the money, someone other than the person they were transacting with. Atu mi yoyev Rav Kahana arba v'shakel tamni kisna meila. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Atu mi yoyev Rav Kahana arba v'shakel tamni. Did Rav Kahana? We'll say this is not a case of ribis. Did Rav Kahana give the guy, give the merchant, you know, four hundred, and he took back eight hundred kisna meila who diyaker. So I'll say, so ultimately, again, the, 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 the flax appreciated. Now, I will say, now, what happened over here, now, this is fascinating, the flax appreciated. Now, I will say, now, was the merchant operating under the instructions of Rav Kahana? He was not. So I will say, so effectively, remember, whenever you operate outside of the purview of your shlichos, in halacha, what are you essentially viewed as? A ganav. A ganav. You're viewed as a thief. Now, if you're viewed as a thief, utnan kala gazlonin mishalmin kishas hagzela. Oh, Bose, listen to this. This is fascinating how everything kind of comes together. Now, Bose, what's the halacha by gazel? What's the halacha by theft? Right? If you steal something from someone, you're obligated to pay back the item. How do we evaluate the item? How do we evaluate it? At the time it was stolen. So I don't understand why are we dealing with over here about proceeds from a sale at the end of the day, Rav Kahana did not, did not empower this shaviyah to sell off his flax. He didn't empower him to do it. If he didn't empower him to do it, then essentially the shaliach is a thief. If the shaliach is, if the, if the merchant is a thief, if he's a thief, fine. In other words, fine. In other words, again, I want to be clear. It wasn't the intention of the merchant to steal. But the moment you go out of the parameters of your defined agency, Halacha essentially treats it like theft. If you're a thief, 
then the value of the item is locked in at the time of quote unquote the theft. So what's going on over here? To which the Gemara says, Amri Hasam Amanahavi, Velomashi Rav Kahana Lekisna. So we'll say, this was a little bit of a different case. This was what we call an Amana. Now we'll say, look at Rashi, Amanahavi, Shinasan Lahem Maos Ba'amana, Velohayo Lahem Pishtan, Kishakiblu Damim. So we'll say, we're going to talk about this more in Bab Metzia. So this is actually an interesting case. It almost seems like you're buying a future over here. So what, Ruvain, what is happening over here is Ruvain, I go over to Ruvain, I go over to Ruvain, the merchant, and I say, listen, here's, here's $500 for flax. And I both say, Ruvain doesn't have flax. He doesn't have flax. But what I'm doing is, I'm giving him money for flax, and I'm locking in flax at a particular rate. I'm locking that at, at a particular a particular value. Right? So we'll say, so now watch this. The Gemara says, this So we'll say, if we go ahead and we lock, that's called buying something with Amana. Amana like Sinlashon of Amuna, right? I'm buying it on trust. I'm giving it money now. We're locking in the value of the item now. So we'll say, so the key over here is, I gave Ruben money for flax. He doesn't have flax right now. So the Gemara says, Ami Hasam Amana Havi, Falamashri Rav Kahana Lakisna. So I'll say, so Rav Kahana, I mentioned this at the outside of the case, Rav Kahana obviously never took possession ultimately again of the flax itself. Now watch this. For Rav Latame, now I'll say, and I remember again, remember, what did Rav say in this? So I'll say, so now, watch this. I go ahead, I gave, I gave $500 to Ruvain to secure flax, right? At, the, at, this, at this cheaper rate. Now what happens? So, 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 so Ruvain goes out and purchases the flax. Then he sells it. Flax appreciates, he sells it. Right, he realizes a profit of two hundred dollars. Now it's with seven hundred dollars. So he sells it, sells it off. Now there's seven hundred dollars waiting for me. So remember again, what did Rav say? So now remember, Rav Kahana came to Rav and said, "Can I go ahead and can I get the money?" What did Rav say? It depends. Did the shaliach sell your flax? If when he sold it, he said, "This is Rav Kahana's flax. You can keep the money." If he didn't go ahead and identify it as your flax, he can't keep the money. Rav Rav, osin amana beperos vein osin amana bedamin. So I now watch this. You could do an amana transaction with produce, in other words, with a commodity, but you can't do an amana, an amana transaction with money. Look at Rashi, Rebos, it is incredible. So you could have really seen the Peshar Zol. So ultimately, again, so you could do this with, with produce, right? I could go ahead and give a merchant money, and I'd say, let's agree, you're going to provide me produce at a future date for this price. For this price. Fine. You can't do a similar, you can't do a similar transaction with money. Look at Rashi. They know do you have like tarty slum shakal arba? So I'll say ultimately again, what I can't do is, what I can't do is ultimately again, go ahead and stipulate, stipulate that if I give him money now at a certain price, he's going to return that to me in the form of produce at a higher price later on. That has ultimately again the appearance of, that has, let's see, that has the appearance ultimately of ribis, more than just an appearance, it could actually be ribis. So I'll say, so now watch this. Now, now let's play this out. So therefore, again, so what happened over here? Rav Kahana gave the merchant, gave the merchant money. Why did he give the merchant money? I'm buying, I'm buying flax 
at a rate of five hundred. I'm locking the price of five hundred dollars. He gives him the money, never takes possession of the flax. So the merchant buys flax, but it turns out the flax goes up to seven hundred dollars. Merchant sells it off. Merchant sells it off. So Jose, so now watch this. If Halakhalamai said the merchant went ahead and identified and identified this flax of Rav Kahana's flax, then Rav Kahana could keep the proceeds of the sale. Why? Because Halakhalamaisa, this has the appearance of buying Peros Alamana. Right? It's a future. He exercised the future, right? Absolutely no problem. If, however, the produce was not identified as Rav Kahana's produce, then Rav said the problem just is this looks like you're transacting with money as opposed to produce. And that's a problem because now, if essentially, Rav Kahana would give $500 and he's getting back $700, that's going to be the problem. Okay, we'll say that's, that's the case. Again, in- interesting. So, we're going to deal with all just coming attractions. This is all Ezehun Nashaf, right? These are all interest cases that Amir Sashem we are going to go ahead and do. So, we'll say we're going to see one of the interesting distinctions when it comes to interest cases is the way to often avoid the appearance of interest is to go ahead and make the transactions about produce as opposed to money because appreciation in produce could ultimately be realized without triggering ribis issues. Uh, increased amounts of money are obviously going to go ahead and trigger all kinds of ribis issues, but Amir Hashem to be continuing above Metziah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Good. I will say good. So the, the, take, the, takeaway, the takeaway from here, the takeaway from here ultimately is how Rav Paskin for Rav Kahana. Good. Good. So Mar says, "Vals Mishnah, Hagoz Les Chaveru Shavar Pruta Venishpa." So we'll say, okay. So now we're transitioning a little bit over here to a different kind of sugya. So we'll say just ten, five seconds of background. Halacha Lameisa, I steal from Ruvain. I steal from Ruvain, and I both say I deny that I ever stole anything, and I swear that I never stole anything. Then it turns out that I stole. Right? I admit. So I'll say, so what's Talacha? I admitted that I stole. So what's Talacha? Three things I'm obligated. Number one, Karen. Number two, Chomesh, an additional penalty fifth. And number three, ultimately again, a carbon Asham. Right? The sin offering. Those are three things that I'm obligated in. So I'll say, now watch this. So I steal a Pruta. I steal a Pruta from Ruvain. So not worth it, right? Either go big or go home, right? But, 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 but obviously in these kind of cases, what it means is a minimum of a pruta. If you steal less than a pruta, that doesn't trigger anything. That's, 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 a, non, that's a non-theft. So I steal at least a pruta from Ruvain. Finish below, right? And I swore, and I swore to Ruvain that I didn't steal. And Rashi says, I point out of here, I lied, right? I lied and I admit, I admit that I lied. So what's the halacha? So we'll say, now this is incredible. So the Gemara says over here, Mishnah says over here, that in order to ultimately do tshuva and make this situation right, I have to track down Ruvain to pay him back what I owe him. It's not, in other words, the tshuva process is not, is not enough just to say, okay, I'm sorry, I did it. Here's the money, here's the karen, here's the chomesh, here's the carbon asham. I'll put it all in escrow. It doesn't work. You have to track down the victim. You have to track down the victim, even if you have to go to Madai. I was like, right, right. I was like, by the way, how incredible is this? It's Adr Aleph, Chel Parasu Madai, right? Already again in Megillah. Already again, we're getting ready for Purim. Already, already the Daf the is preparing us for Purim. You have to go ahead and track him down to Madai. Lo yitain lo, so lo yitain lo libno, lo yitain lo libno, for lo leshlucho. I will say, you can't give it to Ruvain's son. You can't give it to Ruvain's shliach. Aval no sin leshliach based in. 
So essentially, what the Gemara is saying is like this. Look at Rashi. It's incredible. When I swear falsely, this is Dafka thing by swearing falsely. When I swear falsely about a theft, and now I want to make good, it's not enough just to kind of say, okay, I'm putting the money in escrow, Ruben, it's here for you whenever you want it. I, the thief, have an obligation to track down the victim and give him the money. Not to give it to his son, not to give it to Shaliach. The only exception is I can give it to a Shaliach based in. Right? I can't give it to an officer of the court, a Shaliach of the court. The mace, what happens if Ruben died? What happened if Ruben died? So ultimately, again, Yachsil Yarshav. Ultimately, then I can give it back to his inheritors. Now, by the way, Rashi points out over here, So essentially, again, so we need you to give it directly back to the victim. Rashi says, So now watch this. However, so on one hand, Chazal said, if you want to do tshuva, you need to give back the stolen item to the victim. However, the one thing Chazal did say is, you can also give it back to the court. Now, the reason Chazal had to do that, I both was because of Takana Shavim. Let's say Ruvain is in the Bahamas. You know, I, I, I don't want to, I can't spend money to go find him in the Bahamas, right? I can't do that. So we're concerned that that's going to be an obstacle to tshuva. So therefore, as much as the halacha demands that you return the stolen object to the victim or the money to the victim, Chazal did give you an easier out to facilitate you, which is you could also return it to your local basedin. Return it to your local basedin, and that satisfies the requirement. Incredible. Let's say I returned the carrot. I returned the prince. I stole from Ruvain. Again, same case. Same case. I stole. I swore falsely. I admitted. So now I'm paying back everything. Let's say I gave the principal to Ruben, but I didn't give him the penalty fifth. Or Ruben forgave, the, for, he forgave, he forgave it, right? He forgave the principal, but didn't forgive the fifth, right? Or he forgave both the principal as well as the fifth. So as Chutz, Mipachos, Mishamar, Prut, Bekaren, let's say what Ruben did was, he says, I forgive everything except for a half a Pruta of the principal. We'll say, you know, some people are like that when they give forgiveness, right? I forgive you, but I'll never forget, right? right? I, I, I'll forgive you, right? I forgive everything, but let's, but I have a pruta. What's the halacha? So we'll say, essentially, the halacha is like this. This obligation of the thief to track down the victim only applies for the repayment of Karen. It doesn't apply for the repayment of the fifth. So let's say again, I repaid the Karen, but didn't yet get to repay the fifth. Or Ruben was mochel on the Karen, but not the Chomesh. Or it was mochel both. Or it was mochel on everything, but he said, you still have to back half a pruta of the Karen. Supposed to say half a pruta does nothing. It's nothing halachli significant. In all of these cases, essentially, I don't owe Ruben the Karen. If I don't owe Ruben the Karen, even if there's still an outstanding fifth or something else, I don't have the obligation to track him down. Incredible. However, if I repaid Ruvain the Chomesh, the fifth, but not the Karen, or or Ruvain forgave the Chomesh, but he didn't forgive the Karen, or Ruvain forgave everything except, except for a Pruta of the Karen. 
So what's that? The come down there in all of these cases is there is still some part of the Karen that is outstanding. We'll say as long as there is a, a pruta of the Karen that is outstanding, then what? I have this obligation to track down Ruvain, to track down the victim and pay him back the money. So let's listen to this case. So we'll say this is a great case. Listen to this case. I steal from Ruvain. I steal from him. Stole $1,000. And what happened? I swore that I didn't steal. And then I will say I admitted that I stole and that I swore falsely. So now what am I obligated on? I have the carrying $1,000 plus now an additional fifth. So I say, so now what happens? I pay back Ruben. Ruben says, okay, but you didn't pay me back the fifth. I said, of course I did. I'm offended. Right? Of course I paid you back the fifth. Not only that, I'll swear that I paid you back the fifth. So I say, so now I swear about the fifth and it turns out I swore falsely. I say, I've got some real problems, right? So I said, this is a, right, this is Mamish, the guy is swearing falsely about the Chomesh. So I went ahead and I swore falsely about Finishra the Chomesh. I said, I'm a base, I'm a base. Harezem is shalim Chomesh al Chomesh. Okay. I say, so now what happens? So now essentially what occurs over here is the Chomesh becomes the Karen, right? So the Chomesh becomes the principal, right? So in other words, I swore that I paid back the Chomesh, so right? So, and now I swore falsely. I swore falsely. And I admit that I swore falsely. So now again, the Chomesh becomes the Karen, becomes the principal, and now I owe an additional fifth on that Chomesh. And I will say, and we could keep doing this all day long, right? In other words, we could keep doing this. So now I'm going to say the same thing could repeat itself over and over and over, and essentially the claim could continue forward. Literally, again, until the Chomesh becomes less than a Shavar Pruta. In other words, mostly you could just keep extending this out. So essentially, every single time the Chomesh becomes the Karen, then there's a new Chomesh. Then again, if you swear about that Chomesh, that Chomesh becomes the Karen. And you could just keep doing this as long as there is a Shavar Pruta left in the Chomesh that is being denied. The Chaim be Pikadon, and ultimately, I will say the same halach applies to a Pikadon. The same Allah would apply to a Pikadon. For example, Ruvain deposits something with me, ultimately he comes to get it back. I say, I don't have it, or I gave it back to you. I swear. Then it turns out that I swore falsely. I'm obligated three things. Karen, Chomesh, and ultimately carbon asham. So both as the Pasik points out, all of these things are grouped together. Good. So we'll say good. All these cases, if you deny what you have, ultimately again three things Karen, Chomesh, Asham. Here we go. Nishpalo in, lo nishpalo no. So both say, so now here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. All of these cases obviously are talking about a case where I swear. So I'll say, how do we start? How do, how do we set up the Mishnah, right? Ruvain, I went ahead and I stole something from Ruvain. I stole $1,000 from Ruvain. Then what happens, right? I, I swear I'm confronted with the fact or with an accusation. And what do I do? I swear, I swear that I did not go ahead and steal it. I swear that I didn't go ahead and steal it. Then I admit that I lied. What's the halacha? What's the halacha? I have three things. What are the three things? Let's go through one more time. Number one, number one. Karen, number two, Chomesh, number three, Asham. Now, I remember I both say, what is the mission? Now, the mission is not introducing that to me. That's a Pasuk in the Torah. So what is the mission introducing to me? The mission is introducing to me that I have an obligation to track down the victim to repay him. That's the new obligation. 
Stimar says it's interesting. It sounds like from the Mishnah Bazar, the only time you have an obligation to track down the victim to repay him is when? Is when? In this case where I swore falsely. Nishpa in lo nishpa lo. It's only if I swore falsely that I have an obligation to track down the victim. But if I, if I'm say, what about just like a stun case of theft? Stun case of theft. I stole from Ruvain. And then you know what? I become a Balchuva. And I want to go ahead and give back the item. What does it sound like? What does it sound like about say? What does it sound like from our Mishnah? That I don't have an obligation to track down Ruvain. In other words, whatever. I see Ruvain's kid. I say, hey, Ruvain's kid, give this to your father. Right? I see Ruvain's wife. Mrs. Ruvain, give this to your husband. That I don't have an obligation to track him down. It's only Dafka in the case of a false oath that I have an obligation to track him down. Money. So also, whose opinion does this reflect? Lo Rabbi Tarfan, lo Rabbi Akiva. It's neither Rabbi Tarfan nor Rabbi Akiva. I'm say, why not? I'm say, this is so exciting. This sound. I'm say, listen to this case. Listen to this case. Gazal Echad Michamisha. Now listen to this. I stole from one of five people. One of five people. But I don't know who I stole from. I don't know which guy. I don't know which guy. Right? So let's say, now what happens? Now of course I will say, all five guys say, all five guys say, it was me. I was me. Right? So I'll say, so what, what, what do I, so this is thing is, so what do I do? Like, what do I do in this case? So the Gemara says, Maniach Gizila Beneum is Tadzeri Tafra. Rabbi Tafra says, You know what you do, Rabbi Say? You drop the stolen item in the middle of the five guys and you run. <laughs> and you run. In other words, leave it there. In other words, I have an obligation to repay. I don't know who to repay. So here's what I'm going to do is, I say, I'm putting my thing down in the middle and you guys duke it out. Rabbi Akiva says, Absolutely not. Lozu Derech Mosi Asim Rabbi Avera. Rabbi Say, that is not the way to do tshuva. Rabbi Kiva's lashon is so profound over here. This is not the derech to extract yourself from sin. Wow. Rabbi Akiva says, no, if you want to, we'll say, now again, Rabbi Kiva's lashon is interesting. I will say, it's incredible. What does tshuva require, we'll say? The key part to tshuva is clarity. Hate occurs because of ambiguity. Right? In that moment of sin, in that moment of sin, my radar between right and wrong, right, my vision of right and wrong is totally blurred and obscured. That's how I get myself into trouble. Ambiguity, lack of clarity. What's tshuva? Tshuva is a moment of absolute clarity. I know what I did. I own it. I accept it. I know how to make it right. I know to move myself forward. Rabbi Akiva says, to do tshuva, you have to have clarity. You can't drop an item in the middle of five guys and let them duke it out. If you want absolute clarity, you want to ensure that you have clarity of tshuva, what do you do? You repay every single one of those five people. That's your obligation. So we'll say, so now watch this, money. So who's it being the Zarmish to reflect? E Rabbi Tarfan. See if you want to say it's Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan would say, So we'll say, ultimately, again, I understand. Rabbi Tarfan is the opinion that says that essentially, you can kind of just put the item down and you're done. In other words, my obligation is to give back the item. So according to Ritarfan, why should I have to track down the victim, Ruvain, after I swore falsely? Just give it to Ruvain's kid, give it to Ruvain's wife, give it to the Bayesden, right? Why don't, why don't I have an obligation to track them down? So in other words, the same way that I don't have an obligation to try to figure out who amongst the five, I just put the object down, let them duke it out. So so too again, let me give back the object, I'll put the object in the middle, or I'm sorry, I'll give back the object to Ruvain's relative, or, to, or I'll drop it on his doorstep, and that's it. So the Lord says, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva will say, Avagav de lo ishtaba, Amar achi shan gzei lechol echad echad. 
if it's Rabbi Akiva, then it's Rabbi Akiva which would make you would obligate you to track down the victim. I'll say even if you didn't swear, right? Because when Rabbi Akiva will say tshuva is only accomplished when when there's absolutely an explicit clarity that you've rectified your, your crime. So the mice, even if I didn't swear falsely, Rabbi Akiva would still make me track down the victim and repay him directly. To which the Gemara says, whose opinion is it? Li'olam Rabbi Akiva hi. So was it really our mission effectively Rabbi Akiva? And according to Rabbi Akiva, when does Rabbi Akiva say that you have to go ahead and give back the stolen item to every single person? Akiva's case is a case of, of where I swore falsely. So my timer, so we'll say, what's the reason? What's the reason? My timer. So we'll say, because the Pasuk, the Pasuk, when a person swears falsely, ultimately, again, uses the Lashon of, we'll say, you have an obligation to give back the item to the person who you adversely impacted. So halacha it's in that case of swearing falsely where Rabbi Akiva would say you have to give an object back to all five. Similarly, again, our Mishnah that says that halacha you have to find the victim after you swore falsely is Rabbi Akiva. So we'll say, we'll have to, we'll have to start here. He says, we'll Rabbi Tarfon, we're going to say, we'll, say, we'll stop over here for today. But Rabbi Tafin is going to be of the opinion that even if you swore falsely, ultimately, again, the Rabbanan still made a takana to facilitate the ease of children. So I will say, so bottom line, here's what we're ending off with. Our Mishnah introduces us to a new concept that says that if you swear falsely, and now you want to make restitution, which comprised of three parts, right? Um, Principal Chomesh and Karban, you have to, part of your tshuva is tracking down the victim. Tracking down the victim. But the Mishnah Aleksant is only a case, Dafka, where there was a false oath. So whose opinion is being reflected? We have Machlokas, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfan. So the great Gemara is ending off. The Gemara wants to say it must be Rabbi Akiva. It must be Rabbi Akiva. And Mirat Hashem will continue with this conversation tomorrow. Get resolution. Get Allah Chalamaisa. Shkoyach. <laughs>